again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, a program presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for over 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. And I'm Jennifer Burrell. Today we're looking at colonial legacies of racism in the US and in Australia, continuing from our program about slavery in the Americas last week. Indeed, last week we discussed how several European powers, Portugal, Spain, Holland and England, established and competed in the slave trade from the 1470s onwards. Millions of African men and women and even children were captured, transported to the West Indies and the Americas into plantation slavery. We discussed the racist narratives used by colonizers of all sorts, attempting to justify what they were involved in. They used narratives about African and First Nations peoples assumed inferiority, of how they needed to be civilized by the higher knowledge and culture of Europeans, often questioning whether those people were even capable of being civilized, often even wondering whether they were human at all. Mm-hmm. And we also said we shouldn't be too smug about all this being in the long distant past because the same racist coloniser narratives are alive and well today. For some contemporary examples, listeners could go to the Think Again program on the 28th of April in which Jennifer had a conversation on this topic with Elsa Thuit Rosenberg and a very present story about question and answer Stan Grant leaving his job at the ABC this week due to the racist racist abuse that he has been subjected to and his dignified response, which certainly has brought a continuing actuality of racism to the attention of the entire nation, if only the nation would be willing to listen. Mm. So last week we ended the story in the first half of the 1800s with an expanding U.S., in the process of becoming an agrarian powerhouse on an industrial scale based on black slave bodies working the cotton plantations in the southern states. With southern states having just been bought from Napoleon's France. Yeah, that's right. And we mentioned the Civil War, which threatened to split the US in southern and northern states in the early 1860s. And we noted even that President Lincoln at the time, he wasn't really intending to end slavery as in the usual version of historical events. He he primarily was interested in keeping the Union intact. Yeah, but let's go back a bit more because it's interesting to look at some other historical currents occurring earlier in the US during the decades from the 1820s onwards. Mm. Those years were supposedly characterised by emancipatory political and philosophical currents. Yeah, progressive notions of uh, democracy and freedom were floating around at that time, weren't they, Jacques? With the new ideas of democracy and freedom based on the ideals of the new federal republic, 
Mm, the, yeah. the new federal yeah, republic? The US, which started in about uh, 1776, uh, I think. Mm-hmm. So going back even further, the American Revolution in the late 1700s, which 70, I think was 1773 to 1783, mm, <laughs> there you go. late 1700s. Uh, which gave the 13 colonies from Great Britain and from the Crown, it was quite different from the French Revolution in its details of liberty, equality and fraternity. Do you mean details? Do you mean ideals? The ideals, that's right. Yeah, so aspiring to liberty, equality Mm. and fraternity, and that was France. Well, Well, the American Revolution wasn't about that really it was about not wanting to be taxed by britain mm-hmm, that's right <laughs> and not wanting to be controlled by britain yeah and there was the famous catch cry at the time no taxation without representation mm. yes that's that's indeed that was indeed right and in contrast the french revolution revolution also in the late 1700s brought ideas of liberty equality and fraternity into the center of new political thinking and practice, which spread to the new world too. And liberty, understood as personal freedom, became one of the two strands or standout characteristics of the new republic, the United States. Mm, Personal freedom. That's Mm. right. The other strand of thought in the US was the ongoing expansion of territory and influence, the Monroe Doctrine, after President Monroe coming to power in the early 1800s. He declared U.S. hemispheric hegemony over both the Americas, that means North and South America. And we talked about this in one of our earlier programs in late January 2021. So it was rugged individualism and territorial and political expansion. Yeah, and and as for the settlers expanding westward while claiming already occupied land... Uh, I remember from my secondary school history the strange phrase of the day, manifest destiny, mm. uh, which I think you could roughly, roughly that means that the white settlers were simply manifesting God's plan that they take over the new land, mm-hmm. <laughs> manifesting destiny, yeah, carrying out God's plan. And and this is an idea that continued into the 1800s, especially becoming dominant in the decades from 1820. There's been a great book about this time. It's called The Roots of American Individualism by Alex Zakaris. Uh, actually, the full title of the book is The Roots of American Individualism, Political Myth in the Age of Jackson. So Jackson was president of the U.S. from 1829 to 1837, and not incidentally, he was a slaveholder. And the author Alex Zakaris tells how U.S. ideas of democracy in the Jackson era were built on the idea of the independent white man with his own piece of farmland, a small farmer who was independent and had no need to kowtow to bosses or masters, such as in the old world of Great Britain. And ideas about democracy were becoming popular, um, as Shark just mentioned, and independent white men who were master over their own piece of land were considered capable of an informed and intelligent vote 
in a democracy, whereas uh, previously it was held that only educated men who had means and leisure could have the capacity to make an informed vote. So this was a new idea, which mm. it was a new idea. Mm. Yeah, Zakaras tells how democracy was not a popular idea during the early years of colonization of North America in the 1700s, nor was the hyper-individualism that we associate with the U.S. to this day. At least it was not the only popular current in the 1700s. Other values holding sway were the importance of communal harmony and civic virtue as a common good, with selfish tendencies viewed as disrupting social har harmony around that time. Mm, so that's around the late 1800s. Mm, that's right. Oh, sorry, it's late 1700s. Right. Yeah. Of course, even in Europe, under the influence of Protestantism, particularly Calvinism, the prominence of the rights of the individual, as against the obligations to the social body, had been quite forcefully advanced during the preceding centuries, even from the 1400s onwards. Yeah, so that's going back quite mm, a way. Uh, with, exactly. Also uh, coinciding with the emergence of cities, commerce and trade, and private ownership. Max Weber's 1904 socio-political work, and I tied the title was The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism, tells that story quite well. Mm. So, again, under this changing background, or against this changing background, as white men from Britain settled in the so-called New World in the 1800s, they were gifted small parcels of land, which was thought to give them independence dignity and autonomy and these white male settlers were viewed as self-made men and even you could see it in American TV mm -hmm. programs of the 50s Davy, yeah, Davy it, Crockett and Daniel Boone that's right. <laughs> the rugged individual self-made men hacking, hacking down the trees and exactly. yeah, establishing their own mm -hmm. land against the elements <laughs> that's right And so, as I say, these white male settlers were seen as self-made men no longer dependent on masters and controlled by oppressive governments, as in Britain and Europe. And these self-made men were considered fit to vote, as I said, in a democracy. And, and so ideas about democracy really took off from about 1820 in the US based on the idea of the emancipated and independent small land who was male and white. <laughs> of course, all of this was predicated on the seizure of indigenous community-controlled and used land as the new settlers increasingly ventured west. And amazingly, these ideas of new freedom and democratic inclusion proliferated at the same time as the US economy took off on the sweat, labor and lives of black slaves. And there were more contradictions which we have come to better understand as the concept of intersectionality helps explain the overlapping processes of class, race and gender. Indeed, listeners will have noticed that the progressive ideas of democracy and individualism in the early 1800s America did not include women. Uh -huh. Women belonged to men and white men had rights over them as they had rights over African slaves, both male and female, along with their livestock. Mm -hmm. In fact, 
various early U.S. presidents owned slaves. And we now know that Jefferson, President Jefferson, the third president in the U.S., had six children from the slave Sally Hemings, his wife's half-sister. The truth about this passed down via oral history over the years, and it has been confirmed by DNA testing on her descendants in 1998, thanks to the persistent research of American, uh, African-American historian Annette Gordon-Reed. Mm. So on that note, we'll now go to a music break. Thou Shalt Not Steal by Kev Carmody. Seventeen eighty-eight down Sydney Cove, first boat people land, and they say, "Sorry, boys, I gained your last swear, gonna steal your land. If you break down your British wall, sure you're gonna hang. Work your life like a combi, with a chain on your neck and hands, and they taught us, whoa, black woman, I shall not steal you. Hey, black man, I." Cause a civilized black barbaric life And we teach you how to move But your history couldn't hide the genocide The hypocrisy that was real Why our Jesus said Supposed to keep the oppressed I better do say to you The white man that shall not steal Hey, you can make a nuclear bomb. Development has increased its size to 3 million megatons. If you think that's progress, I suggest your reason is unsound. You should have found out long ago your best. Keep it in the ground. You taught us, whoa, black woman, I shall not steal. I said, hey, yeah, black man, I shall not steal. Civilize your black barbaric life And we teach you how to kneel But your history couldn't hide the genocide The hypocrisy that was as real Why your Jesus said You're supposed to give to the oppressed I bet it you see you The white man died Shall not steal Oh, yeah, I like you better hear you Me and Neil and Ripner Underneath that interpillate bridge Watching that blazing sun go down Behind a tall tree, mountain ridge The land's our heritage and spirit here The rightful cause is black We're sitting here just wondering When we're gonna get that land back They caught us Whoa, black woman, I shall not steal I said, hey, yeah, black man, I shall not steal Civilized, black barbaric lives, and we teach you how to kneel. But your history couldn't hide the genocide. The hypocrisy to us. Forest, pristine green. Getting 200 years, your materialism 
and strip the forest clean and erases the contradiction that's understood by none mostly that left hand holds a bible the right hand holds a gun that's poor black woman I cannot steal You're listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio, 855am on your dial and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. What a great, great song by Kef Carmody, sort of telling us the story of the three, the triple M. Yeah, as I said, Jacob, when we were off air, it's saying what we're saying, but in a much better way. <laughs> yeah, the combination of the military, the merchants and the... Uh, uh, and missionaries. Yeah. Today we continue to talk about slavery and its reverberations both in the US and in Australia. Yeah, so moving ahead a few decades now, so after the American Civil War in the early 1860s, slavery eventually became illegal, but traces of its, strong traces of its racist underbelly remained and were powerfully present everywhere. Many Freed, inverted commas, freed, uh, slaves found jobs in the burgeoning industries in the Northwest, but their working and living conditions have been described by historians as the new slavery. This time, of course, without living in a slave community. Yeah. According to Douglas Blackman, who was the author of Slavery by Another Name, the choices made by southern white supremacists after abolition and the rest of the country's further development, and I quote, they explain more about the current state of American life, black and white, than the slavery that preceded, Mm. unquote. Mm. Well, the idea of Americans of African descent being full participants in a democracy largely remained anathema uh, in the north as well as the south of the U.S., Exclusion and oppression continue, taking many diabolical forms. For example, the the infamous Jim Crow laws from the late 1800s into the 1900s um, enforcing racial segregation. And there were a range of deeply systemic barriers to equal citizenship, such as access to education, access to a large range of jobs and employment, and access to recreational opportunities and public institutions and resources. Yeah, Yeah, ironically, white leaders found a solution in the 13th Amendment, which was the amendment which ended slavery in the US in 1865. By exploiting the provision allowing slavery and involuntary servitude to continue as a punishment for crime. So they took advantage of a penal justice system predating the Civil War and used even during Reconstruction after the abolition of slavery. Mm -hmm. And of course, to keep them in their place, 
there was the well-known terror against African Americans in the South, with lynchings, systemic violence by the police, a dysfunctional but partisan justice system, and so on. Yeah, with with those lynchings made famous in Billie Holiday's song mm-hmm. "Strange Fruit." Yeah, mm. terrorism evidently has a long and strong presence in the U.S. history. That's right. So. On to Australia now. Well, a book by Marilyn Lake and Henry Reynolds gives an interesting peep into the racism amongst influential American and English political thinkers in the late 1800s. And we will get on to Australia. Mm-hmm. So these were thinkers who, who had supposedly progressive and pro-democracy views. Um, the book by Lake and Reynolds is titled The Global Colour Line. White Men's Countries and the Question of Racial Equality. And in particular, the authors tell how these racist ideas influenced Australian scholarship uh, and the Australian founders of this country around the time of Federation, with, of course, Federation being in 1901. And so these are some of the ideas that had intellectual hold and and apparent, uh, apparent respectability around the late 1800s. Um, and, of course, going into the mm. early 1900s. So it, there was ideas in relation to the rightfulness of white colonial, uh, colonisation of other lands, ideas about the genius of Anglo-Saxon political institutions eulogised as their Westminster system and um, with, uh, with the Anglo-Saxons being destined to conquer occupy and civilise the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there were ideas uh, that the success of democratic equality was said to depend on the availability of land, Mm -hmm. um, which sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) According to Goldwyn Smith, for example, um, this is a quote, if America had an outlet to the West, so England had an outlet in her colonies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, unquote. And then... um, there was scholarly justification of American imperialism in the Caribbean and Pacific due to the assumed lesser capacity of Filipinos, Hawaiians and Puerto Ricans for self-government. Yeah. yeah. In today's world, of course, that is extended to Pacific Islanders in a more polite wording. Notwithstanding Penny Wong, uh, Wong's recent valiant attempts at undoing an earlier overheard Dutton statement mocking islanders in their attempts at preventing the flooding of their lands because of global warming. Who can forget that? Mm. And amongst the great thinkers of the time in the US and in Britain, there was the expressed anathema, if not horror, at the idea of black people sharing in democracy and being equal, let alone in brotherly or sharing ways, participating in society. Or sisterly ways, too, Mm, Jacques. That's right. (laughs) So distaste was expressed by supposedly liberal pro-democracy scholars of the idea of black people even voting with real visceral repugnance, um, also openly expressed and written of Indians, inverted commas, and their pervasive presence, too. So nation-states were said to require racial homogeneity, Mm -hmm. which we recognise the shades of eugenics in that, of course. That's right. And there are some really creepy quotes uh, in Lake and Reynolds' book that 
uh, would make riveting radio, I'm sure, but I've decided not to read them out. Um, but they included horror expressed that a black person, then still referred to as a Negro, may one day be president. <laughs> so, um, so these were these were thoughts from the great liberal mm. scholars and thinkers of the time in the late 1800s, and as I say, influencing Australian scholarship mm. and the setting up of our, our own federation and racial policies. That's right. In the US, in the late 1800s, there were discussions about the race problem, with the supposed problem being that there were too many black people moving about freely. Their mere mass presence in public spaces was problematized, and there was discussion of the idea of deporting people of African heritage back to Africa, even though many, if not most, were actually born in the country. This followed the example of the U.S. assisting those who were interested to return to Africa by creating the state of Liberia. Mm, yeah, so overall, regardless of the civil war and the abolition of slavery, uh, black people were seen as incapable of civilization and democracy was viewed as the rightful preserve of white men only. And scholarly sympathy was reserved for white southerners in the States who suffered humiliation and shame, which in a way is echoed today or yesterday in Trump's supporters and disaffected poor white southerners, the populist propaganda fodder. Yeah. So in the late 1800s, racist ideas about superior and inferior races, justifying a multitude of oppressions, exploitation and theft of land and lives, as well as the, the eugenic theories about genetic inferiority, they were alive and well, and well into the 1900s up to the Second World War. Well, yes, they were, Jacques, because, um, well, Omer Aziz spoke about this in his talk Fascism in America, which listeners can catch on Alternative Radio, which was recently played on 3CR on the 17th of May. So Omer Aziz explains how German fascism between the 1920s and 1940s didn't just suddenly appear out of nowhere, out of the blue. Its grounding was well established in Western thought and policies. In fact, Aziz describes how the Nazi regime actually borrowed, explicitly borrowed from the racist songbook of US racial policies. And again, back to Australia, we had the notoriously racist white Australia policy, referring to policies keeping out non-white and assumed inferior races for much of the 1900s beginning with the Immigration Restriction Act in 1901, which went on up to the 1970s, when Gough Whitlam's government made such discrimination illegal. Mm. Hence, in 1902, as an example, James Bryce, an influential British academic, historian and liberal politician, approved the successful steps taken by Australia and Canada to avert race contact by restricting immigration, another word basically of apartheid. This was in uh, Bryce's uh, tome, and that's just the title of it: "The Relations of the Advanced and Backward Races of Mankind." <laughs> which the title says a lot. <laughs> in which he also referred to the mistake of the U.S. experiment in political equality, and sadly. Some of these insidiously persist 
in Australian practices around asylum seekers, refugees and the subtext of the One Nation Party rhetoric. Mm, so, racing to the end again, Jacques, as usual. Oh dear, yeah. um, mm. I guess the final point before finishing up today is that we need to constantly think again when hearing dominant narratives that only thinly veil racist and colonial ideas, ideas of white racial superiority, which are not just the preserve of fringe groups, um, but in dominant discourses every day, as well as in practices and systems. And certainly, let's not take um, let's not take on U.S. ideology uncritically. Narratives like U.S. narratives about Anglo-European superiority, who are um, people who are supposedly smarter and more civilized than the U.S. Uh, hyper individualism that blames the oppressed and marginalized for their own predicaments, and the rightfulness of U.S. world dominance or supposed. God endowed manifest destiny. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon. Stay tuned, stay radical. 3CR Radiothon fundraiser, June 2023. To donate, call the station. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and supporting our program. If you want to send us a message, you can email Borderlands. Borders at borderlands.org.au. Our past programs are available by podcast on your favourite platform and via the 3CR website on 3cr.org.au. Meanwhile, please enjoy Milku Mana by King Stingray. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.